0: I was thankful that Charlene gave me a personal uh, welcome in her welcome this morning, which she said will be led by a lot of young people today. Uh, so thank you, appreciate it. Um, yeah. Well, she is giving me lessons on clapping, but I, I haven't gotten there yet, so hang in there with me. Um, I would like to read for you from our text this morning. It comes from Colossians chapter 2. This is kind of a a second part of a lectionary reading that we read a few weeks ago, beginning at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now that's quite a statement about Jesus. In him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily or in bodily form, or we could say it this way, in his person all the fullness of divine reality dwells. What does that mean? Well, I want to look with you at what that means, but first of all, I want to say that we have worked really hard at trying to understand who Jesus is, and we generally turn to the Gospels. Paul doesn't tell us much about the life of Jesus, but we want to know about the life of Jesus. We want to know what he is about and who... what he brings to this world. And so we work really hard at understanding the Gospels. We understand and we really like that Jesus walked the roads that we walk, that he knows our struggles, that he weeps uh, when a friend dies, that he is tired and thirsty after a long journey. We know all of that, and we love it that his heart goes out to people. That his heart goes out to us as well as to others. He feeds the hungry. He gives them living water. He befriends the sinners. He heals the sick. He argues with religious leaders. And he cares and challenges, challenges political authorities. So he cares for us. And we see that on the pages of the Gospels. But in the letters, especially in this letter to Colossians and Philemon, we have these hymns to Jesus. We have these early Christian hymns that that elevate Jesus beyond a human person and tell us something about the divinity of Jesus. And so this morning I want to talk with you about Jesus' divinity. Um, The problem is that is this Jesus that we now also know as divine, which we see in some of the Gospels as well, but the divine side of Jesus does that create a gap? Is there less uh, uh, knowledge of us, or is there less connection because Jesus is, in fact, both human and divine? And so we wonder if that gap grows when we see these lofty words in, in Jesus, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells. All of the divinity uh, dwells and is in him. The interesting thing is that in our text this morning, it takes us just in the opposite direction. Because of his divinity, he knows us better. He knows, he completes us more fully. He is able to understand uh, not only the world, but us in ways that complete us uh, and that bring to us and create out of us the very body of Christ. And so, what, what we have is something that is so refreshing and so important um, because we see that Jesus knows us better than we ever thought um, in these words and will complete us, will we'll make sure that we are whom God wants us to be. So if you look at verse 6, if we take a step back in verse 6 of, of our text, we realize that here, um, what we, the, as we have received uh, the Messiah, Jesus the Lord, In Him, be in the process of walking. That's the first command here. So, in verse 6, we have the command, walk. In verse 8, we have the command, watch out. So, walk. uh, You've been grounded. You've been rooted. You've been built. um, You you have this foundation. uh, You have been taught this. um, But now, watch out. Watch out for others who may be leading you in a direction that the gospel doesn't lead you, Maybe taking you in a way that Jesus doesn't want you to go. And so, watch out. Uh, be careful about that uh, one who wants to, who will capture you, this is a military term, but will capture you um, through, uh, through philosophy, which is, in this case, empty deception or empty deceit. So be careful. I think that's a common theme. I mean, those of us uh, who have grown up have either, either heard somebody say to us, watch out, uh, or we have said that to friends, children, and so forth. So if your kid's riding a bike in the street, watch out, a car's coming. Um, we had the experience of, we were hiking what was called Lindsay Peak at the time, still is, but we're not there uh, we were hiking, it was in late spring, and so the snakes were out. And when the snakes are out, these are rattlesnakes, when they're out, you have to be careful. And so we were, the the group of us adults, were just walking and talking, and our kids were playing back here. And um, all of a sudden, we come on this little, it's like a crater-looking thing. It's about five feet, that's not quite five feet. It's about five feet wide and deep, And so we're looking at that and we realize that there are snakes in that and there are snakes around and we could hear one rattler. And so we yelled at our kids, uh, watch out, stop, because they're running now towards us. And we thought if they accidentally uh, fall into that pit, we're in deep trouble. So we yelled. Uh, they were fine, we were fine, they didn't drop in, uh, but there was a huge rattlesnake that one of the ladies um, coveted the rattles. She didn't have rattles like the snake had rattles, and so, uh, okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> um, so, but wh- so, what we said is, watch out, okay, watch out, uh, be careful. Now, in our text, it's not, it, it, it's not so much physical, although it might be. Be careful, watch out, um, because of the human tradition and because of uh, the element, uh, elements of the universe, of the cosmos, this could be, what, fire, water, uh, air, uh, and so forth, those, those primary elements, uh, earth, It could be personified. We know that in uh, the culture at the time, there was a personification of these and the worship of these. They became like gods. Or it could be metaphorical. Uh, The the elementary spirits, the elementary things that are now um, in the process of guarding the universe, and you have to make it through, back through them in order to reach God. And so, it, the, the, the thought here is fairly serious. Watch out that somebody doesn't take you captive, somebody who wants to captivate you with other things doesn't take you captive and lead you in a direction that Christ would not want you to go. So, what's the option? Well, the option in verse 9 begins in, at the end of verse 8 It says, and not according to Christ. So, be careful um, for the person who uh, is going to, or will try to capture you, it's a military term again, capture you through philosophy, which is in this case, empty deception, according to the tradition of humans. According to the elementary spirits or the elemental things of the universe, of the cosmos, and not according to Christ. So, live according to Christ, not according to these other things. Well, what is according to Christ? Uh, be cap- I, would, I would translate it, actually, be captivated uh, by Christ. Be captivated by Christ only. Why? Because in him, in his person, resides all the fullness of deity. Because you have been made complete in him. And because he is superior to all rule and authority. That's why you can be captivated by Christ. Not by these other things. So verse 8 tells us what to watch out for. And verse 9 and 10 uh, explain this danger and how it is countered in Jesus Christ. The command uh, may indicate uh, a, a person who is actually trying to captivate you. It's a future, so it could be uh, Paul is just thinking about the possibility of this happening, or it could be somebody that is actually in the marketplace sounding very gospelish, but it's not the gospel of Christ. Paul dealt with this in Galatians. He was furious in Galatians because in Galatians, what you had is he was saying, why are you so quickly turned away from the gospel to another gospel, which is not a gospel. If it's not centered in Jesus Christ, if it's not the center of the universe, if you will, in Jesus Christ, if it's not according to Him, then it's not the gospel, and so, Paul is furious with the Galatians. He's not so furious here, but he wants them to make sure that they follow the gospel and not follow some other philosophy. Now, it's interesting here, uh, he says, uh, be careful uh, not to be taken captive by anybody who wants to take you captive through a, a philosophy or through the philosophy which is empty deception. Now, not all philosophy is empty deception. Philosophy is good. There's there, philo- You can live by philosophy. Um, but he's saying there's something missing in this particular form of that philosophy. So be careful. Um, don't be taken in by a philosophy which is really empty deceit, which is really um, totally empty. Or, according to... Uh, traditions of people or the tradition of people Um, or according to the elementary principles of the world. Don't be taken in by that. On the other hand, be taken in by Christ. Be captivated by Christ. Now, I think we have some of those uh, near gospel uh, gospels, if you want to say it that way, A few years ago, there was a a big movement on what's called the prosperity gospel or uh, the health and wealth gospel. In fact, I have a friend who's a a professor in Zambia, and he said it's one of the major problems that the church is facing. It's a health and wealth gospel. It's if you really have enough faith, then you're going to be healthy and you're going to be wealthy. And that's all you need. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, and so if you have enough faith, you can be healthy and wealthy. Some of us must not have enough faith, right? Um, but that's a false gospel. Uh, that's not what Christ said. Or the, the, uh, the new one that's around today, I would say, is this uh, idea of white Christian nationalism. That's not the gospel. It may be white nationalism, but white nationalism is not the gospel. We can't just overlay it with a Christian idea and say that that now is the gospel of Christ. It's not. Or we could talk about, and we've talked about this in the church, uh, is the gospel about Jesus or is the gospel about justice? That's a false binary. If you're for Jesus, you're going to be for justice. If you're for justice, it's going to be founded from the Christian perspective on Jesus Christ, who shows us what justice is all about. So to separate that is a false gospel. They have to be held together. And I think also, I mean, sometimes a kind of a, a progressive Christian elitism that is politically correct and seems to swim with the current of culture always, that could be a false gospel as well. We have to be careful. And what Paul is saying here is that there are false, false gospels out there, and you need to watch out because they sound like the gospel, they look like the gospel, but they're not the gospel. So what's the gospel? What does Paul do here to help us understand? And here's, he says, um, you received, as you received the Messiah, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And then verse 8, watch out, don't let somebody take you captive with something that is not according to Christ. Because in Christ dwells all the pleroma, all the fullness, all the the deity of the Godhead in a bodily form. Because in Christ, you are one who has been completed. And because in Christ, uh, you know that he rules over all rulers and all authorities. So what does this mean? First... Christ embodies the fullness of deity. What it means is he's not a program. He's not something that we can check off and say, oh, that's a program that I've done before. Now let's move on to something else. No, this is a person. This is a person, as we said at the beginning, who knows you, who loves you, who cares for you, who has died for you. This is a real person. Christ is the one who we follow. It's not um, some uh, program Jesus Christ offers a counter uh, to these false gospels uh, and faces the ills of society and the problems of culture in the way that he lived and died for the sake of the world. Uh, Christ broke down every potential barrier that exists between people. When we proclaim Christ... We offer the very face of God, the very being of God to the people who need to hear that. Listen to Kathleen Norris. This this is about Christ being uh, uh, human and divine. And part of it is that she understands that there's something critically important going on here. I began to realize, she says that one of the most difficult things about believing in Christ is to resist the temptation to disincarnate him, to not accept him as both fully human and fully divine. The normal human tendency is to succumb to the errors that Gregory Wolfe talks about, and here's his, her quote from him. When emphasis is placed on the divine at the expense of the human, and then he has in parentheses the conservative error, Jesus becomes an ethereal authority figure who is remote from earthly life and experience. When he is thought of as merely human, and then in parentheses the liberal error, he becomes nothing more than a superior social worker or a popular guru. For me, she says, It has meant trying to hear the Gospels in a way that allows me to reject a simplistic dualism in the interest of a creative tension between flesh and spirit, faith and reason, even God and Caesar. So there's something critically important about holding this together that she understands. If we're going to follow the gospel, if we're going to follow the gospel of Jesus Christ, we hold those together. Christ embodies the fullness of deity. Second, Christ has fulfilled each of us with the divine presence. Now, this is something I think we don't always catch. This is critically important. What, what Christ is doing It's a perfect tense here. It's, um, you have been, in him, you have been made complete. Uh, It happened, and it continues to be the truth and the reality that you live. You have been made complete. You share in the fullness of God in Christ. Now think for a moment of when you know something is missing. When you know something is incomplete, you're looking for it. You're trying, you're striving for it. You want it to be Uh, full and whole. And what uh, Paul is saying here is that in Christ, you have been made complete. What that means in part is that you have been given the divine reality of Christ in you. And so you become corporately the body of Christ. That divine fullness is what Christ fills or completes. Uh, Listen to how one person says it. Christ brings your life to its destination. Christ brings your life to its destination. I love that. And then James Dunn says it this way, the Colossian Christians already had all that is necessary for the fullness of life, unrestricted access to the divine power which will shape them into the divine image. What that means is in part, that we see in each other uh, the living Christ. Listen again to Kathleen Norris. She says, one, once, when I was uh, only a guest one Sunday night at a women's monastery, the sisters invited me to join them in statio, or stachio, uh, the community's procession into church. By the way, I think this is a great exercise. We, we should do it sometime. Okay. Um, the word means Standing. Uh, It means to get in position, to station oneself, to take a stand, to wait in line in a posture that invites individual watchfulness, to recollect oneself before re-entering church. Uh, But statue is also a powerful reminder of communal solidarity. You line up two by two, like the animals entering Noah's Ark. And then she says, the priorist... Uh, was my partner. We brought up the rear. And then she says, we bow first to the Christ who is at the altar. This is what she whispered to Kathleen Norris. Uh, We bow first to the Christ who is at the altar as as the procession lurches along. And then we turn to face our partner and bow to the Christ in each other. Isn't that wonderful? We bow to the Christ. Do we really believe that Christ is in each other? What a beautiful idea. And it's more than an idea. It's the reality of what God has done in Jesus Christ. So Christ has filled each of us with the divine presence. And then third, Christ is head over all rule and authority. Uh, This includes... Caesar, it includes any prime minister, it includes any president. Christ is superior to all power, including those elemental spirits, elementary spirits that you need to get through if you're kind of a proto Gnostic, you need to get through in order to get back to your original origin. Since Christ is not only head over the church, but also head over all rule and authority, head over all creation and creatures, Uh, Because of that, we as followers of Christ um, have the world, if you will, uh, at our disposal to enjoy, to know that Christ is ruling, and to um, live with one another. Followers of Jesus are grounded in the love of God and the victory of God, not only for the church, but for the world, for the cosmos, for the universe. One lives their life under the authority of the one who conquered death and who brought about life. And the cross assures us in resurrection that that life is forevermore. So we gather together under the lordship of Christ. We become, the purpose of this is to become the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the, uh, uh, the bones and the marrow and the, and the uh, muscles of Christ in the world today. Because we, as Christ, carry the burdens of the world with us in our hearts, suffering for others, living in kingdom ethics in our neighborhoods and in our families. Our message is Christ in the context of the church in the world. Listen to Jürgen Moltmann. Um, this is uh, in his book, The Power of the Powerless. Um, he's a, a theologian. But listen to what he says uh, at this point. The church always belongs within the context of the world, whether it likes it or not. This means that it is quite essential for the church, every minister and every congregation, to see themselves as far as possible in context and to become involved with all their minds and uh, capacities in the conditions, powers, and potentialities of the society they are living in, okay? So, that's our context. Everything that's there is our context. But, and I think this is critical, but the context is not the text, and we must never allow it to become so. The church's context is society, but its text is the gospel of Jesus Christ, as this is witnessed in Holy Scripture. Were it not for the Bible and the preaching of the gospel of Christ according to biblical testimony, the church would long since have been absorbed into the social context and would be nothing more than civil religion of society, which is to say a religious reflection of its environment and public opinion. No, he says... uh, that there is a tension always between text and context. It's a permanent tension. Um, The church will never be fully at home uh, in this, and yet uh, the context, the world, is where we do our life. The church exists in the conflict between the lordship of Christ and the powers and forces of society. We proclaim the text. We live always in the context of our own society. The gospel is good news of God's gracious invitation to all people through Jesus Christ to enter anew into relationship with God, with one another, and even with oneself. So watch out. Know that there will be people, there will be pressures. Who will, which will attempt to add to Christ or maybe subtract from Christ or the gospel, be careful not to listen to them, not to follow them. Live according to Christ. Be captive only to Christ because in Him resides all the fullness of deity bodily and because you have been made complete in Him and because He is superior to all rule and authority. Amen.